woman called to check on her friend. She said, how are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm having a terrible day. She said, my head is killing me. She said, the kids are out of control. The house is just a disaster. And she said, I have no idea what I'm gonna do for dinner. She said, I tell you what, you lay down on that couch right now. Get off your feet, you lay down, I'm on my way. She said, I'll take care of those kids. I'm gonna clean that house and I'm gonna get that dinner ready for you so when your husband Sam gets home, he'll be so happy and so proud. And she paused a minute and she said, uh, my husband's not named Sam. And she said, uh, I guess I've called the wrong number. And then there was a long pause and she said, well, you are still coming over, right? <laughs> Can you relate? Do you wish sometimes you just had help from somewhere out there, anywhere? Especially this time of the year where you're trying to get everything done. You read about the top stressors and one of the stressors is just getting things ready for the holiday. Buying the gifts, the financial stress. You always got that one family member, you're going, yeah, I'm afraid they're coming this year. Here we go. It's just a stressful time. In fact, psychologists have just, they've coined a phrase for it, believe it or not. Uh, they call it festive stress. Did you know that? Festive stress. It says unique stress that involves many factors and that so many people, in fact, they say over 32% of the people are experiencing festive stress. Uh, look at the person next to you right now. Look at the one that you, how about your left? Look to your left. Look that person over real good. Now look at the person to the right of you. Check them out real good. Do they look stressed? If they don't, it might be you, right? 30% is one in three. I'm guessing there's some stressed out people in the room this morning. And I wanna to try to say some things I hope that will help you. I really do. Uh, like Laney said earlier, for many of us this time of the year, it's a joyous time of the year, but it's also a sad time of the year. Uh, it, it's adjusting and getting used to some new normals. Some of you have, uh, have done that and are doing that. And, and uh, everybody in the room is going through something. I recognize that. But I have discovered some principles in God's word that I believe are applicable to us that will actually help us keep this season from being miserable <laughs> and enable it to be merry. And so I wanna talk about some principles of God's word. And in these principles, there is a miraculous factor because we're going to look at a, a woman whose life had begun to spiral out of control. A woman who had suffered loss. She lost the love of her life. She's left with just a child. And in this day that I'm going to talk about, there was no social network. She couldn't rely on any government help for her. If you did not have family or friends nearby who helped you and loved you, you're on your own. And if you're not able to be self-sufficient, and many women in that day were looked down on and not able to provide for their household, and so they could find themselves in a very desperate situation. And into the picture, God sends uh, his word. And he sends his word through his prophet. And, she share, and the prophet shares some things with this woman, some principles with this woman that completely revolutionized her life and revolutionized her home. I believe it changed her outlook and I believe it changed her attitude. Now let me give you the setup for what I wanna talk about. Elijah was the prophet. Now understand when you look at an Old Testament prophet, they were a representative of God on the earth. They were his voice to his people on the earth. The word prophet means to foretell, which is to talk about something, event in the future that will happen, to prophesy, to be a prophet, is to talk about something that's going to happen, or to forth 
foretell, to speak of a current event and put it in context uh, of God's word. And so because they didn't have the Bible back in that day, God would speak to his people oftentimes through prophets. And Elijah was a prophet. And he was a man that was actually going to be used by God in a powerful, significant way to bring a nation back to God, to usher in a spiritual awakening. As was the case with all, in all human nature, uh, they had kind of just bounced back and forth with God. Uh, the people of God had been close to him, walked away from him, got back close to him, walked away from him. And so sometimes they turned to him when they saw the light, sometimes they turned to him when they felt the heat. And so you have this uh, back and forth relationship with God. And so he uh, calls on Elijah to do something very drastic and significant to get the attention of his people. He said, we're gonna to have to put the people through a difficult time in order to get their attention so they'll return to me. And friend, once you've connected with your creator and you separate from him, he loves you too much to let you go merrily on your way without him. And he will bring about circumstances and situations in your life because he loves you. The Bible says those the Lord loves, he chastens every child in whom the father delights. So it is his chastisement, his discipline in our life. It's a sign that he loves us. And so that's true in a nation. And he brings the nation back through a, 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 a period of time where famine was going on in the land. I mean, literally, Elijah turns the waterworks of heaven off. Why well, doesn't make Ahab and Jezebel very happy. So they say, we're gonna kill this prophet that's responsible for this. So God sends him up into the mountains. He sends him to the, to the condo at Kareth. Uh, and so he's hanging out and the Bible says when all the land is without water, he's got fresh water running right by him every day. Uh, the Bible says God sends ravens to feed him uh, in the morning and again in the evening. He's chilled, he's having a wonderful time until the brook dried up. And when the brook dried up, it was God's time for him to move on. It was God's time for him to go to the next level. And so he tells him there's a woman. Now we're back to my story. There's a woman in a little village called Zarephath. And I've already told this woman, I want her to take care of you when you get there. And so God was uh, foreordaining, preordaining some things to happen that was going to not only impact a nation, but impact this little lady who lived in the village of Zarephath. If you have a Bible, look with me at 1 Kings 17. We'll pick up in verse 10 with that backdrop. So he goes to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, here's a widow gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar uh, that I might have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he said, Ann, would you bring me please a piece of bread? Um, and so this is interesting. Now I think, and this is just supposition on my part, but in that day when you study it in historical context, there were many widows. How was he to know which widow was the one God had spoken to? There were many, there were hundreds of widows. I kind of think that maybe this exchange at the well might have been the way in which he was going to know if this was the woman God had sent him to by her response to him. Hey, get me a drink. Okay, I'll get you a drink. Okay, well, maybe anybody would have done that. Hey, how about some bread? You know, not just anybody would have done that. So she responds, and listen how she responds. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread. Listen, I've got a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in the jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home for a fire. I'm gonna make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it, and look at this, and die. What a desperate situation. And look at how Elijah responds. Now don't hate on him, because you're, you're you'll feel better about him in a minute. Elijah said, don't be afraid. 
go home and do exactly as you've said, but first make a small cake of bread for me. <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> I, apologetics is part of what I do, a defense of the faith, but I have kind of trouble right here defending the brother. I mean, let's just, let's, let's think about, just think about it for a minute. She's just poured her heart. I got just enough food to fix one more meal for me and the boy, and we're gonna die. There's no other thing, there's nothing left. I don't have any. He goes, gotcha, but make me one first, right? And then you and him can go ahead and eat and die. I mean, that's kind of what he said, right? So there's a bigger picture here, and I'll explain it in a minute. You won't hate him as much. Uh, so he says, go home, do it first, make bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son, 14. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Now, by the way, this is what's significant, is what the Lord God of Israel says. He said, uh, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry. This is the miracle until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And notice what she did. Notice her response. She went away, did according to the word of the Lord. And she, notice who ate first. He said, make this for me. But notice who ate first. Isn't that just like the Lord? Uh, she's obedient. She eats first. She and, and, and the boy and the prophet ate. Uh, and, and the Bible says in verse 16, the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil didn't run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord as spoken by Elijah. A few things I want to point out, principles for you. First thing I want you to notice is there is a definite crisis in this home. I mean, this miracle that's about to happen is about to happen in a home that's experiencing a crisis. And I say that, I, I know that everybody's like, duh, we get it. But I, I, I want to underscore that and highlight that because every miracle in the Bible started out as an impossible situation. Hence, we call it a miracle. A miracle is a word we use to describe something that we could not have uh, satisfied by ordinary means. We say, I don't know how that happened, it was a miracle. I didn't think that was gonna work out, it's a miracle. I never thought that would get put back together again. It's a miracle. And so I'm suggesting to you this incredible miracle we're going to look at this morning happened in a home of a woman in crisis. And by the way, what I know about this woman, I know she's a good woman. When I understand the context, I know she's doing the best she can to take care of her little boy. She didn't have any help. There wasn't anybody calling her saying, go down, lay down now, put your feet up, I'll come over and take care of everything. Nothing, that wasn't going on. You read the narrative, she's in a desperate situation. She has no one to help her. She goes to the well, she's gathering some sticks to make this last meal. What a sad situation she's facing. And all of a sudden, the prophet shows up and says, hey, could I get some bread and could I get some water? And you notice what she was willing to do? She was willing to serve him in the midst of her suffering. Did you get that? I mean, here she is going through a difficult time, crisis in her home, down to nothing. I mean, she's in absolute desperation, but when someone asked her for something, she said, I'll do what I can. I'll help you, I can get you some water. What a remarkable woman. What a good woman. And yet she was a woman that was troubled with why this was going on in her life. And I know that because down in verse 18, she said, is God punishing me? I mean, am I going through this because I've done something wrong? In fact, when you look at it, even the phrasing of it in verse 18, she says, is this happening to me because of my sin? She didn't say sins, plural. She had something she had done, sin, something she had done in her mind, she thought that had offended God to the point that he was bringing all this misery on her. And I come back to a theme that I often go to, and that is the idea that we tend to equate every bad thing that goes on in our life to the idea that God is upset with us about something going on in our life. 
That's our go-to. I don't know if it's because we're in the buckle of the Bible belt and everybody believes that sort of, you know, we've been inundated with this religious, uh, you know, uh, inco- uh, this, this kind of teaching that's just got into the woodwork. So we began to see God as a cosmic killjoy that looks down out of heaven to find the happiest person who wants to mess with their life a little bit. And we began to see him that way, that he's got a chip on his shoulder, that he's mad at everybody, and that he's just wanting to make life as miserable as you can, that when you walk to God, you'll crawl away from him. I mean, is that really the idea we have? But that's the idea she had. I mean, she knew she wasn't a perfect woman. She knew, I mean, she's calling herself out on this. She goes, look, I know I made a big mistake, but is that what's going on? And the prophet says, no, one thing has nothing to do with the other thing. And listen, sometimes you just have to realize that one thing in your life has nothing to do with the other thing. And sometimes the worst things in the world can happen to some of the very best people in the world, and sometimes you just don't get to connect the dots. And here's a woman, a good woman, willing to serve in the middle of her suffering, struggling a little bit with why things were going on. She had an opportunity to talk to a guy that represents God to her on the earth, and she's quizzing him. I don't get it, it makes no sense. So you see not only the crisis in her home, but the second thing I wanted to point out as we look at these principles is you see something of what I'm calling the compassion of her God. Before the prophet was ever sent to her home, back in verse nine, I didn't read it, but it's there in the context. He had already revealed to her that the prophet was coming. Now what's significant about that? What's significant about that is this miracle is going to happen in the home of a woman no one else was checking on. This miracle was gonna happen in the home of a woman no one else really cared about. I mean, you don't sense anybody else is upset that she's got one more meal to eat and then she and her little boy are gonna die. Who's upset about that? Nobody's rushing to her assistance, but the point that struck me as I was studying the narrative is the fact that even though no one else responded to her, there was a God who, who saw her and who sent his prophet to her. He was a God that cared about her. And one of the things that has sustained me and continues to sustain me in this season of my life is the belief that I have that I serve a loving God that does things with purpose and for purpose and on purpose, that he's incidental. He doesn't have accidents. He doesn't make mistakes. That he does things for our good, ultimately for his glory, even though I don't understand him or always agree with him. The Bible says he sees the sparrow when it falls. The Bible says that he, in, in Psalm, that he has our tears bottled, our bottling our tears. It's just imagery to let us know that in the deepest, darkest moments of our life, there's a God that is seeing us and is aware of us and cares for us. I mean, the Bible says he has even the hairs of our head numbered. He didn't say counted. If he said counted, that would mean he knows how many there are. He says numbers, that means numbered, that means he knows which one they are. (laughs) All he's saying by all of that is helping us wrap our heads around the idea that the most minute area of my life, if it's big enough to concern me, it concerns him. And somewhere in the brokenness of this woman's life, God was going to send someone to her. He was going to get his word to her in a way that began to put the pieces of her life back together. So I just didn't want you to miss that. It struck me when I read it, and that is the compassion of God in the midst of this. A beautiful verse, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Third thought. You see something of the courage of her faith. The courage of her faith. Folks, this is where the miracle happened. Here's what the prophet said. The prophet said, you've got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, go ahead and do as you plan, but make a little cake for me first. And I told you that kind of makes you hate on him till you see the principle that he's talking about. And the principle that he's talking about is this, God wants your poverty. He wants what little you have. She didn't have anything, he wasn't after her money. He he, he, he was simply wanting her priority. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the things you need are added to you. What does God want more than anything else? My priority. He wants to be first in my life. First thoughts of my day, the first devotion of my heart, the first day of my week. He wants to be the priority. You see, I don't have anything to offer to God. That's okay, just give him what you have. God God does not expect us to give that which we can't give. He expects us to give that which we have. And we say, God, all that I have is yours. My life is yours. This is a poor woman. She said, God, I just have poverty. He said, give me your poverty. Some of you are broken this morning. He said, give me your brokenness. Some of you are angry this morning. He says, give me your anger. Some of you are bitter this morning. Give me your bitterness. Here's what I know. I know that some of us are carrying burdens God didn't design us to carry. The Bible says, you know, he talks about not putting more on you can handle. Have you ever thought about your life as having a load limit? A load limit? You ever got on an elevator and you see the little Otis sign and then you see the weight limit or the load limit? Have you ever been on a small elevator and done the math? You ever done that? Come on now, we've all done that. Step on there and the floor of it kind of bobs a little bit. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. That old boy over there's a pretty big guy. And she's a pretty big girl. I'm thinking we don't have it about a buck 20 here between us here to, one more guy get on here, we, might, we, we better lose a backstreet boy or we're going to the cellar here. You ever had that thought? I mean, you just have that thought that in, in, in every engineer, everyone that designs anything that, that is going to require a load, a, a weight, a, a, a pressure on it will have a load limit. There'll be a stress factor involved. Well, you and I, are, we, we have load limits. When Jesus was talking about not worrying in Matthew 6, he says, take no thought for your life. Don't worry about things. Don't over, he said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, meaning you've got enough problems today to worry about without worrying about tomorrow. He gives you what you need to get through the day. Remember what he said, give us this day. What kind of bread? Daily bread. Meaning he won't give you the strength you need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's not here yet. So when you're worried about tomorrow, you're burning today's fuel. And when you keep doing that before long, you're running on empty. You're stressed out. You're exhausted because you're thinking too far ahead of the situation. And not just thinking too far ahead of it, you're bringing the stress of the situation to bear because things typically are always worse in our mind than they are in actuality. So I'm just saying that in this life and in this room, every weekend I talk to people that are redlining. (laughs) I talk to people who are way over uh, the load limit. They're carrying things into this room. God never designed them to carry it. I'm saying the miracle in your life that may change your attitude and your outlook is when you transfer that weight 
from you to him. You just simply say, God, I don't have much, but I'll give you my brokenness. I've got a broken heart. You want that? <laughs> got a broken life. Some of you say, man, I've got, I've got brokenness in my life. I've, I've got, I, I can give you that. And he said, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I, I just wanted to know I'm the priority. I, I, I want to be the hero of your life. I want to be the one you look to and the one you depend on. I mean, he starts the Bible within the beginning, God. So I'm just suggesting to you that the miracle in the word of the prophet to this poor woman and her son was just put him first. And when you trust him and you put him first, he opens the doors to so many other wonderful blessings that can come into your life. And in her case, it was a miracle. She just simply said, I don't have anything, but I'll give you what you had. And the prophet said, that's all he wanted. And the Bible said every time she went to that barrel and pulled flour, there was always flour. And every time she went to that bottle to get oil, there was always oil. What's the principle? The principle is giving what you have. You came in here with some burdens. You came in here with some heartache. You came in here with some stress. Just say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm putting you first in my life. I'm transferring this burden. You said my burden is weak and my burden is light, so I'm giving you that burden. Last thought, we'll go home. You see, the story ends with what I'm calling the certainty of her future. Now that God's first in her life and he's done the miraculous in her life, you know what happened to her? She became a part of a much larger story. When you go to 1 Kings and you turn that page, 1 Kings 18, you have Elijah standing on top of Mount Carmel, facing the 450 false prophets of Baal. And there is Ahab and Jezebel, finally the showdown. Who is the real God? Will the God that answers by fire will be the real God? And many of you know the story. And the true God answered by fire. And the whole nation saw it and return to God. And I want to tell you this morning that after that incredible miracle on Mount Carmel when there, a spiritual awakening happened in the nation, when you look back into the storyline and you want to know who to give credit to, one of the people that stands out is a little old woman in Zarephath. We don't even know her name. She's just called the widow of Zarephath. She brought to God all she had, her brokenness. She gave him her poverty and she became a part of a much larger story. Don't give up. God's working in your life. I mean, who knows what he may do? Who knows how he may use you to make a difference in the life of somebody else? I believe everyone in this room and those watching online, we're all a part of a much larger story. Let me give you this. John Newton was a young man who grew up in England. He came from a a God-fearing family, yet his family had suffered some real tragedy in that his father died when he was just a young boy. His mom carried on and did her best to raise John and she read the Bible to him every night and she prayed over him and prayed that God would use his life even though their home was so broken. And then John suffered a second, just unspeakable tragedy and heartache. His mother died. He's very young. Now he's orphan, and as he grew older, he just got bitter. The experiences of life hardened him, made him cynical and angry at God. And so he just walked away from God. He started getting involved in things he shouldn't have gotten involved in. His life was just in a downward spiral. He was just so angry. In order to anesthetize his pain, he began to abuse alcohol, and it wasn't long 
until he was addicted. He was an alcoholic. He found work on a merchant ship, and one night as crossing the Atlantic, they entered a huge storm. The captain of the ship sent word to the crew, I don't think we're gonna make it, I don't see how we're gonna get through this storm. And he said, if you know how to pray, maybe you should pray. And John was awakened to the reality of his situation, and not just to that, but to the life that he had lived. And he thought, if this is it, if this is my life, what a waste of my life. How I've wasted my time. So he got down on his face in the bottom of that ship and he just said, God, if it's possible for you to forgive me and for you to save my soul, I ask you to do that. And he said, God, if it's possible for you to save my life, I ask you to do that. And the story goes that they were able to right the ship and they were able to get to safety and John made good on his promise to God. And over a period of time, he began to put the pieces of his life back together. And he began to see the need of other people who were struggling with what he had struggled just to hear his encouragement and to hear his life's experience. So he began to share what he had experienced. He began to tell his life story. It wasn't long until he felt that God wanted him to be a minister, to expand his influence, and he did. And one day looking back over his life and thinking about all that he had gone through and all that he had experienced, he thought he would write a poem, maybe even put it to song. And this is a verse that he wrote. He wrote this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And John Newton became a part of a much larger story. Ladies and gentlemen, this Christmas season, I get it. I get it. It's a mixed bag, happy, sad. I get it. And all I'm encouraging you to do this morning is to bring what you have and give it to him. Your brokenness, your bitterness, your sorrow, your heartache. And let him exchange that with joy and love and purpose and he'll move you into a place where you become a part of a much bigger picture. Let's pray. Lord, today we just come to you broken and, and many in this room are going through difficulty in this season. And I pray, Father, that you would take that brokenness and re replace it with joy, the beauty for ashes, that exchange. Father, I pray this morning for those who are carrying burdens you didn't design them to carry, that they'll stop long enough and say, God, I give you my heart. I give you this burden. I, I wanna partner with you. I can't do this on my own. For some, Lord, I pray they'll come to that place where they realize that I need to invite you into my life to be my savior. May they pray a prayer like this and say, God, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my life, forgive my sin. For others, Lord, that just need someone to encourage them before they go, I, I pray they might find their place here at the front. Let someone spend a few moments to encourage them and pray for them before they go home. Lord, I pray that this will be truly a joyous season. You'll lift the burdens, that you'll heal the hearts, that you'll bless these people, and we'll give you thanks. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you, we'll see you next time.